Welcome to edtech.fm, uh, our podcast around issues in education, technology, and higher education. Uh, my name is Corey Tressler. I'm joined by Autumn Keynes, Byron Rausch, and Nicole Kraft, as always. And today we're going to talk about open education resources, which is a big issue in higher ed and K-12 and really education in general. Uh, and really want to, this may be a jumping off point of a conversation for multiple episodes. So in this podcast, we want to really cover some general information about what they are and some of the initial impl implications of why an institution of higher education or a faculty member educator would want to use them. Uh, so first, Byron, would you mind sort of loosely defining what open education resources are? Yeah, so at first I want to make a differentiation between two definitions of open that I think you'll see a lot in the community. Uh, so the first, in you know, in the open source community, they use the terms freeze and beer versus freeze and speech. So beer is, here's a beer, you can drink it, you can enjoy it. Freeze and speech, you get to do whatever you want with that essentially, right? So so I want to talk about two different kinds of open. So the first kind of freeze and beer open would be that here is something that you can use, you can use in class. Maybe you can't make modifications. You have to link back to the original or you can access it from a website at you know some other university or some faculty member has shared, but it's not yours. You don't really have ownership. The other option, freeze and speech, is here is this, you're allowed to adapt, remix, modify, do whatever you want with this. Essentially make it yours. Uh, usually you're gonna have to provide some attribution back to the original, but really you get to do whatever you want with that. So those are kind of two definitions of open. I think where you see that in open educational resources are where you find the resources. So um, iTunes U, for example, I know we'll talk a little bit about, generally speaking, it's accessible, so anybody can sign on to a course link to the materials, things like that. Um, but you can also, on iTunes, you make your materials Creative Commons license so that you can download and you can modify materials to whatever extent the creator wanted to share that. So that's kind of one kind of open. Um, and we'll also talk a little bit about kind of some of the OER repositories, I think, too. So that's a really, I think, really good definition because it's broad enough that it leads to that conversation, does it matter? Does it matter if it's free where you can just use it in your course or with whatever you want to do? Or is it does it matter more that it's open so that you can use it and download it and cut it up and make it your own while still giving credit to who originally created it, but you're taking it to the next level for whatever, customizing it to the next level for what you need in your classroom? Does it matter? Does, does it matter that you use either? There's one more important. Does that even matter? Does it, or is it as long as that we're thinking about these things is, is what matters? Well, I think there's an integrity argument that you can make to some extent. So if somebody releases their stuff and you're more or less allowed to use it and you take, you know, one slide that, you know, has maybe a chart or some sort of interesting depiction from the research and use it in your own, um, but you don't have that context mm -hmm. in there, like, I, I think that's maybe not a good thing, but it doesn't matter. So... Other than taking things out of context and the integrity and things like that, I think um, for most faculty, it doesn't really matter. You know, So a textbook that you can use for free, you can still say read chapters three and seven, but you can't make chapter three, four pages, and you, know, you can't cut stuff out of the middle and things like that. You can still direct students to do that, just like you would a paper textbook, but you can't you know, make the Nicole Craft textbook 
using that material and just release that out. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like from a faculty development perspective, it makes a big difference, right? So if I've got a faculty member who's looking to curate different pieces and put them together, um, that's completely different from somebody who has more of a maker mindset and they want to be able to pull stuff out, but they want to be able to not just curate, but actually like tweeze it out and make their own resource at the end of the day. That's great. I, I don't know. I've, I, one of the biggest challenges that I have, and it's the economics. And I don't know if that's because I came to academia from a real world perspective that was apart from academia. And if, if I ever said to anyone that I was working with that you, I, I'm going to, you know, give you this thing, uh, you, you have to use it and you're going to have to pay an additional $150 for it for three months and then you'll never use it again and you may be able to get some money back. I mean, I would feel like a complete What model idiot. are you describing there? <laughs> and I realized, you know, the, the big shocker for me came when I assigned an article, I'm sorry, a textbook in my magazine writing class. And one of the students said, you know, I really can't afford this book. And the book was like 80 pages. And I'm like, well, how much is it? And he said it was $79 and I almost had a coronary. And I you know, I got them all in and I'm like, whatever, whoever bought this book, like take it back. I don't want anyone spending $79 on this. And it led me to figure out what I could do for them. And I started with course packets, which, you know, you had to pay the copying fees. And then thank God, uh, the university helped me discover iTunes U and iBooks author. And so now I use iTunes U to um, create all of my own course materials. And those same kind of um, reading packets that we would have had in the past are now interactive and dynamic. And I can make them live every semester and keep staying alive. So I add to them. I take things out. I'm constantly... Um, you know, keeping them up to date. It's much more current learning. Um, I've written my own um, iBooks textbook. I have two iBook textbooks out there. Um, Always get the name of the dog about interviewing and writing like rabbits about writing magazine articles. And even those, you know, I can change, make examples as they come up. I can um, evolve with the times of of what's going on. So whereas we may not have addressed, um, you know, email interviewing or interviewing over Skype or uh, Hangout, now we can because that's something I can incorporate into it. So, you know, I think that we really need to think about open source from an economic standpoint for our students. Um, And and that's, that's not ancillary that's a really key part of the discussion um as as we move forward on on this kind of resource and there's an ethics argument i think that you can make too as universities because right now faculty are writing the books they get you know some residual fees and things like that but we're paying their salary and that's their primary way that they're earning money and then we're kind of outsourcing the production curation peer review that sort of thing now like those are things that we can do with digital tools. I I guess arguably we could always do that with, you know, a press and things like that. But I think now the cost of producing a textbook is and distributing a textbook is so much lower. Um, Especially if instead of having somebody pay $80, we can, you know, pay you for your time and, you know, build the support structure around that. And I think Corey, if you can talk a little bit about what your group is doing, but um, we can do that now. And I I think it's almost unethical not to, because we have the experts here why on earth would we rely on some multinational corporation? Well, we had the OpenStax people come mm-hmm. speak, and it was a really interesting model. Yep, and that's, I think, I think you'll see more universities like us, Ohio State University and other large universities doing this and really trying to work to gra- together to do both free and open. Because I, I think, Autumn, you hit it really well. It does matter to the individual faculty about what they want to do and what their mindset is. 
is there avenue because i ultimately think the responsibility of making things affordable is the the vital key in oer Mm -hmm. because um we have certain restrictions in every different state and whatever about what we can do with tuition and things like that and we want to make college more affordable and this is one avenue um, because textbooks can cost an undergraduate student upwards of a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars per semester potentially so i think what OpenStax is doing, what the University of Minnesota and some others are doing, it, it, Autumn, you really hit it, is they give both options. Here's free, and if you're a professor and you want to put together a course and you want to take your first step in, you can start to look around and just find free. And you really could do take a chapter three of the economics book from OpenStax or whoever and chapter seven from over here and a YouTube video from here and wherever and bring it all together. But there's that other level that's your next level of faculty potentially, and there's nothing negative about either one of these. It's great that they're thinking about this, that wants to take something, have it that's Creative Commons, opens license, and share alike, and then redefine what that is and remix it and make it into their course and add their own content. And I think that goes back to sort of the Linux community um, where they really took each other's projects and sort of grew off of it, that somebody made this widget And like, oh, this is great, but I have an idea to make it better. And then they take it to the next level and things like that. I think that's the next layer of of sort of OER, hopefully, in higher education that that is organized, hopefully, by universities, too, coming together and working on projects where here's part of a chemistry book or here's part of whatever. We're going to put questions into it. We're going to add to this. And I'm going to grab chapter six and rewrite it because I'm the expert in that area of whatever area of chemistry or whatever it may be. But I think the most important thing is that responsibility for affordability to our students. And that is something hugely positive that I think we're starting here at Ohio State is taking a step towards that, that redefining what textbooks could be. Because Byron, you hit it as well. We have the experts. They're writing the books for whoever, you know, I won't name any names Mm -hmm. as far as the textbook companies and, and call them out individually. But our faculty are basically taking their content, their intellectual property, and giving it away at this really small fee and not getting anything back for their students when we could try to keep that in-house or try to keep it in-house in a conglomerate of Ohio, you know, higher ed universities and really pass that money back to the, to the student by paying the faculty for the book. Right, or, and even when you look at the big courses, so like econ or you know, those big general ed courses, calculus, for example... A university like ours has, what, 4,000 people that take the calculus sequence. If instead of paying the publisher $150 for the book, they pay us $20, that's more than enough money to sustain that. And it's a huge impact for the students in terms of their debt load, the amount of money they have to you know, find or their parents have to find at the beginning of the semester. Even just the big courses. You know, We may not have the community where we can make a, a book for e- every niche course, um, you know, we have electives that are offered once a year with 12 students in them. You know, we're not going to write a textbook for that course. So even if we can't find like a model that makes that sustainable, that's, um, you know, those big courses, I think, is a, is a huge goal. And it's really low hanging fruit. It's there. We could wrap an economic model around it. We have the expertise in house um, and it, it's a big impact. And if you want to see an example of that, uh, if you go to digitalbookstore.osu.edu, and find the Theater 2100 book. It's called The Art of Now, I believe. Uh, They did exactly that. It was sort of a, there was some lead faculty that worked on it, but really it was a department decision to do this. 
and took their textbook. I think it's $24.99 or somewhere in that range, in the $20 range. They made it available on all types of platforms, so it doesn't matter if you have an iPhone. There's an iBook version that's for iPad that's enhanced. There's an EPUB version. There's different ways students can access it. But all of that revenue, because the split on self-publishing is so much better than selling it or giving it away to a major publisher, that that revenue then goes right back to the department. And in this example, it's really wonderful. The theater department is giving that to their grad students for graduate student programs, for study abroad, for bringing in more graduate students to do research and things around and in theater. So that is a huge example. But you're right. The bigger courses are the ones that are the most important when you have you know, 15 people in a seminar, you're probably not going to write that book, but you could. And we've probably seen that examples. Mm -hmm. um, I know Rick Voighoffer does that a lot with his courses. He doesn't necessarily write the book, but he finds the resources for free on, on the interwebs and, and sort of shares it with us. And that's what's the basis for our course. Well, and if you charge $20 every time that calculus course is taught, you're not rewriting the book every time, you yeah. know. Uh, so there are real costs in producing books, especially, you know, not just time, but and geography, you know, you have to pay for maps and things like, you know, photographs, things like that. But I think, you know, we look at this as, you know, there's, it's economically impossible or infeasible, when I think it's actually fairly clear, you know, there are a lot of different ways that we could look at proceeding. It's just a huge challenge and we need, you know, support from students, faculty, departments, colleges, provosts, presidents. Well, one thing we're seeing is that you can actually get buy-in from students. So we create, I create iBooks from my students' work. So, you know, they're, I teach a capstone course, and so I can pull in all of their materials into an iBook version. Um, their capstone course is heavily, uh, it's a very well-researched article that's um, immersive, and they have media that goes with it. And so for us to be able to pull that in together, um, I think allows them to help teach the next generation. It can be, it doesn't have to be an 80 or 100 page, um, you know, digital textbook. It can be uh, something that's 10 or 15 pages or even five pages. Um, the project that I'm working on now, I'm working on with some other people. We're each writing a chapter at a time. So say we're only going to be working on one chapter, we may release one chapter. We don't have to be looking comprehensively. I think one of the things that we do need to work on that we maybe haven't, um, that, that I was really intrigued when we did meet, Corey, with the OpenStax, um, is that whole peer review model. So we still are really interested in that from an academic standpoint we get a lot of pushback when we don't have the, um, the the peer review system in place and so kind of figuring out how we can balance those things is going to become key as we move forward well thanks everybody that's been a, a really good talk so far obviously this open education resources uh, is a really large conversation that has a lot of different avenues and in future episodes please come back to edtech.fm we will be going into specific areas around open education resources specific concerns around copyright and accessibility specific tools uh, you heard us mention openstacks.org today um, we'll probably dive really heavily into books a little bit because there are a lot of these implications around publishing and self-publishing going on to Amazon or iTunes or Google Play or wherever you're going, there's a lot of avenues. So there's some exciting conversations around that. So please come back to edtech.fm. Uh, follow us at, on Twitter at edtech underscore fm. Uh, like us on iTunes and, and subscribe to our podcast. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week.